Open your Bible or a pew Bible up to Luke chapter 13 and verse 22. We're continuing our Lenten series looking at the life of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. From now until Easter, we're following the lectionary readings, which churches in many different Christian traditions use, but it means we're not sequentially working through the gospel as we normally do here at Wiser Lake Chapel, but instead we're dipping in at select points. So last week we walked with Jesus in the wilderness as he faced temptation. This week we joined Jesus on the road to Jerusalem on what proves to be ultimately his final Passover pilgrimage. We're told in 951 that Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. He's determined his final destination. But he doesn't actually arrive till halfway through chapter 19. So well over a third of Luke's gospel focuses on this journey and the various teaching occasions along the way, which we're going to see one of this morning. Luke 13:22, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Hear now the reading of God's word. Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. I want to draw together Jesus' teaching in this passage under two heads. First, his instruction, strive for the narrow door. And second, this truth that Jesus won't be turned aside. Our passage opens with Jesus on a trip, the trip with a destination. He's headed to Jerusalem, 
but it also is a sort of teaching tour. So we're told he stops at towns and villages along the way, meandering slowly towards Jerusalem to teach. Our story begins with a question. Lord, will those who are saved be few? It sounds a bit like the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Do you remember? There's five golden tickets, and as each ticket's found, it's reported on the news, and people get more excited. How many tickets are left? How many are out there? Who will get to visit Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory? It sounds a bit like that question that Jesus is getting asked here. Like the golden tickets in Willy Wonka, this is a question that all kinds of people were discussing in Jesus' day. But it's not just how many tickets are left. It's a question about how widely or narrowly to draw the circle of salvation. And that's a question we still ask today, isn't it? Is it a wide circle? Almost everyone will make it with a few notable exceptions like Hitler and Stalin. Is it a narrow circle? You know, the really good people will make it. How do you draw the circle of who's in and who's out? It's really a question about identity and group boundaries. But Jesus doesn't directly answer the question. He doesn't rattle off a number like the Jehovah's Witness, 144,000, that's how many. No, see what he does, how he answers? He responds not with a factual statement, it's this many, but with a call, an instruction, a command. Strive for the narrow door. Strive for the narrow door. The question asks, how many golden tickets are there? But Jesus' answer reframes the question. The kingdom of God, he says, is exclusive. And so in that sense, it is like a narrow circle. It's exclusive. He says, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and find that they are not able. But it's not exclusive because there's a limited number of spots available, only five golden tickets. Rather, the kingdom of God is exclusive because it can only be entered through the narrow door, and that door is only open for a certain amount of time. It will close one day. So strive to enter the narrow door. This word that Jesus uses here, strive, is used elsewhere in Greek literature as a technical term for what athletes do in the games. You know, the Greek and Roman games, Mount Olympus, all that sort of stuff. Striving is what an athlete does in competition. The struggle to win, the strive for the finish line. Here's how Killian Hornet, an elite trail racer, describes this kind of competition. He says, I need to think of a race as an enclosed space, a bubble. In this bubble, only the race, the other runners, and myself exist. Everything else must be put aside. Excuses, lack of training, work, or romantic problems must be put aside. A race is a life that is born when you get up in the morning and dies when you cross the finish line. That's the kind of attitude, indeed, the way of life Jesus is urging upon us. He's saying, strive towards the narrow door. Put everything else aside. Excuses, work, romantic problems, whatever they are, put those aside and strive towards that narrow door. But he doesn't say it's simply trying hard. That if you're really striving in life, then you're going to make it. Don't worry. No, he says there's a narrow door. There's a specific place we're aiming towards. We have to have the right goal. He doesn't say strive hard and you'll get an A for effort. The door is narrow. 
This part of the gospel message is a great affront to our sensibilities, isn't it? How can Jesus, he's such a good guy, how can he be so exclusive? How can he be so narrow-minded to say this is the way to the kingdom and no other way? But it's undeniably a recurring theme in Jesus' teaching. At the end of the famous Sermon on the Mount, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. John 10, Jesus says, I am the door. John 14, Thomas says, how can we know the way? What's the way we're supposed to be going, Jesus? And Jesus answers, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying the door to the kingdom, the door of salvation is open, but it's a narrow door, and it will not be open forever. And so he unpacks this with a brief parable, trying to explain in what sense the kingdom is exclusive. He says, once the master of the house has risen and shut the door or gate, that might be a bit of strange language, why do you rise to shut the door or gate? But I know it well because my dad in the evening watches a TV show with my mother and at some point he inevitably falls asleep sitting next to her on the couch and then at some point he jerks awake and realizes it's time for bed and he gets up, rises, locks the door and heads to get ready for bed. Okay, Jesus says once the master's done that, Okay, he woke up on the couch, time to lock the door, time to go to bed. If you come to the door then and start pounding on it and saying, Lord, open to us, he will say, I do not know where you come from. I don't know who you are. You're not my kids. I'm not letting you in after curfew. Uh, Go away. These people standing outside, banging on the door, trying to get in, they'll justify themselves, Jesus says. You will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. Don't you know who we are? You came to visit our town. You held a crusade there. What do you mean that you don't know us? We've been at the same dinners. But the master will again respond, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. I don't know where you come from. Maybe I did see you when I came to visit your town, but I don't know where you come from. I don't know you personally. I don't have a relationship with you. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? There's an exclusivity to the kingdom of God. Meals in proximity to Jesus are not enough, simply having been to the same dinner parties he was at. Even passing familiarity with his teaching is not enough. It's a narrow gate. Remember, Jesus is talking here to his fellow Jews, part of God's chosen people. But that alone is not enough just to say, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I'm an Israelite, I'm, I'm a descendant of Abraham, that's enough but it should be a warning to us as well. Friends, passing familiarity with Jesus is not enough to enter. Simply going to Sunday school as a child and knowing about Jesus, that's not enough. Being at church every week, even baptism and coming to eat near our Lord at the Lord's table is not enough. The question is this, friend. Have you actually entered through the narrow door? Are you striving for the kingdom? Are you striving for the narrow gate? Can Jesus say of you, I know where you come from, 
because you're one of my own. Is there a real personal relationship between you and Jesus? Or will he say, I don't know where you're from, go away. There's a somber warning. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, grinding of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves have been cast out. Jesus says there will be a final moment of revelation when those who have never really bothered about Jesus in this life, who only have passing familiarity with him, suddenly realize that the patriarchs and the prophets, the superheroes of the faith in Jesus' day, that they're all in the kingdom of God, but, 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 but these people themselves didn't make it. Jesus says there is a final judgment, but he doesn't describe it in terms of fire or darkness or anything like that, but simply this, regret. Regret. Imagine after church someone asks you what you're up to this evening. Maybe you don't really like this person that much, or you're exhausted, so you make up some excuse that you're busy, you can't do anything with them. And then they say, oh, that's really too bad because I happen to have an extra ticket to go see your favorite band, and I was hoping you'd go with me. Okay? That feeling of regret, like, oh, I shouldn't have put this person off. Look at this opportunity I missed. Okay, that's a little taste, a little taste of what Jesus is saying it will be like for those who enter the narrow door and then look around and realize Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they're all there at the kingdom, reclining for a feast, and you're left out. Jesus speaks in parables here, but his point is clear, friends. There will be a final irrevocable division between those who have entered the narrow door and those who have not. There will be a final moment when the door is shut, and after that, there's no arguing your way in to the kingdom of God. There's no bartering. There's no bluffing. There's no deals to be made once the door is closed. It will simply be too late. Jesus says the door will not be open forever, but it is open now. So strive to enter the narrow door. He says not every way leads to the kingdom of God, only this narrow door. So strive to enter it. So Jesus, he answers this question. He's saying, in a sense, yes, the kingdom of God is exclusive. It is exclusive. There's only one way to enter it, and that door will close. But then he goes on to say, but it's not because it's exclusive because it's a small circle. He doesn't end there. He says at the same time, the kingdom of God is also radically inclusive, that it's open to everyone. The initial question about who's in, who's out, where's the boundary, Jesus responds with this. He says, although the door will one day close, nevertheless, people will come from east and west, from north and south and recline in the kingdom of God. People will come from every point on the compass, every corner of the earth. It's open to everyone, regardless of what country you're from, what ethnicity, what your background is. It's open to everyone. And so it's not exclusive in a narrow sense like that. It's radically inclusive. Jesus has described those outside facing regret. Now those inside are those reclining at table in the kingdom of God. They're enjoying a feast, a banquet. They're invited to this great kingdom feast and enjoying it together. 
Indeed, Jesus says, you want to know where to draw the boundaries, who's in and who's out. He concludes by saying, you're actually going to be surprised by some who are present at the feast, who have entered through the narrow door. Behold, some who are last will be first, and some who are first will be last. Some who in this life you look at and you think, that person is a loser. They're last. There's nothing redeeming about them. He says, some of those will actually be first in the kingdom of God because they will recognize, in this life, I'm nothing. I'm dependent on Christ. Strive for the narrow door. But to understand why the door is narrow, why the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is exclusive in this sense, we've got to look at the next episode in this passage and see what Jesus himself does to open the narrow door, to see Jesus' own attitude towards his people. And then we'll understand why the door is narrow. At first glance, these look like two almost unrelated episodes, but Luke says it was at that very hour, part of the same conversation, part of the same episode. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. That's the way the passage opens. But now some Pharisees, uh, who apparently recognize they're much closer to Jesus than Herod, come, and they want to warn him. They're saying, get away from here. Herod is plotting to kill you. You've got to protect yourself, Jesus. Go back to Galilee. These well-meaning Pharisees warn Jesus of a threat on his life, but we see here a second truth in this passage. We are called to strive, but now we see Jesus won't be turned aside. Jesus won't be turned aside. Just as he calls his disciples to strive for the narrow door, so Jesus is a man on a mission. As Luke puts it twice in chapter 9, he has set his face towards Jerusalem. He is determined. He's a man on a mission, and no power on earth or in hell will turn him aside from that mission. It says, not even Herod the ruler can get in my way. So he tells the Pharisees, go back and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures. See my great power today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. It says, Herod, you're nothing but a fox, an idle threat. I'm not going to be intimidated. He's committed to continuing his ministry, to continue casting out demons and performing cures. And then it says on the third day, he will finish his course. Now, in, it, it, the third day is simply an idiom in Jesus' day. In a couple days, a few days, shortly. I'm going to continue my mission until I reach the end in a few days, and then it will be complete. I'll have finished my course. But when we know the end of the story, on the third day he rose again, we can't help but hear in Jesus' word here a promise that Jesus will continue his ministry until he finishes that co- his course. And we realize his course is only complete when he has defeated even that last enemy, death, when Jesus rises again on the third day. Jesus won't be turned aside from his ministry or his triumph, his, his victory, his rising again. And so he calls his mission his course. He's already called us to strive like an athlete in the games, like a runner in a race. And we see in Jesus himself this steadfast striving to run his course. But do you see how Jesus continues? Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the following day, for it cannot be that a prophet will perish away from Jerusalem. 
In Luke 9, when Jesus sets out for Jerusalem, he sets his face towards Jerusalem, he already has warned his disciples that he knew what was coming, what the end of his course would look like. In Luke 9, after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus teaches them, saying, I must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day rise again. And then a bit later on their journey, he says, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so they might not perceive it. Okay, so he's, Jesus clearly already knows what awaits him in Jerusalem. And in fact, here he's saying it's to fulfill the Old Testament. It's to fulfill uh, uh, the prophets. And the prophets are martyred in Jerusalem. That's where I go to face my death. Jesus knows what's coming, but he won't be turned aside from his ministry and his suffering. Luke uses a particular word here when he says, I must go on my way. Uh, He uses this word must to refer to things that happen as part of God's plan. And so Jesus is saying, I must go on my way. This is part of God's plan. He doesn't explain here how this is part of God's plan, but going to Jerusalem and dying is part of God's plan. In fact, it is how Jesus opens the narrow door, how he makes a way for us to enter the kingdom of God. As we've seen, Jesus warns us starkly, there will be a final judgment, a final division between those who refuse to enter the narrow door, who are ultimately cast out, and those who do enter the narrow door. But here's the other part of the story. Jesus gives his own life to open the narrow door. Jesus gives his own life to open the narrow door, to make a way for us to enter the kingdom of God. And so we can say the door is narrow, it's exclusive, if I can be a little bit poetic, because the narrow door is shaped like a man on a cross. It's the only door that leads to the kingdom. And that's why it's narrow. Then at the end of this passage in 31 through 33, or no, sorry, in this passage we see two wills contrasted. Herod wants to kill Jesus. He says Herod will kill you. He wants to. But it is God's will that Jesus goes to Jerusalem and he won't be turned aside from that mission. Jesus has warned us that the kingdom of God is exclusive. The door will be closed, and there are many who seek to enter, but it will be too late. But Jesus doesn't delight in the fact that some are cast out. Rather, we see his own heart in verses 34 and 35. Jesus' own desire as he laments over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered together your children as a hen gathers her brood under her wing, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I will tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus ends not with uh, this warning about destruction, about a final judgment, but he ends with this incredibly tender image to express his own desire. He says, I would have gathered your children together like a mother or father hugging 
their child. That's what I want. I want to gather you together like a mother bird gathering her chicks under her wings. Jesus' desire is not that his people stay outside the door. He wants to embrace, to protect, to nurture like a mother hen. And he won't be turned aside from his mission. He will do whatever it takes to gather his people together, even if it means going to the cross outside Jerusalem. But he says there's a second will. I willed to gather you together, and you were not willing. The door may be narrow, but it is open as long as this life endures. And Jesus wants to gather his own. But he says, as yet they have been unwilling. And of course, this truth points beyond Jerusalem. As Jesus has just said, this feast in the kingdom of God will include people from east and west, north and south. I guess I'm pointing wrong directions here, but uh, east, west, north, south, all together from all over the globe. And so Jesus is saying this door is open to people all over the world. My people are going to be gathered together from every nation. So Jesus' desire is to embrace all his people. He has given his own life to open the door. But are you willing? Will you enter? Again, there's a stark warning. He says they're not willing to be gathered together by Jerusalem and therefore their house will be forsaken. Judgment will come upon them. He says you will not see me again until you are prepared to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is to say, you won't be able to see me until you recognize that what I'm doing is not my own acts and my own plan, but I'm coming in the name of the Lord. God's plan is unfolding through my life, death, and resurrection. It's when we recognize that that we can truly see Jesus for who he is. We are called then to see even Jesus' own death and resurrection as fulfilling God's plan. And therefore, Jesus won't be turned aside. Nothing will stop him. He'll do anything it takes to open the narrow door, to make a way for you to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, he already has. He has already died to open the door. He's already risen again to defeat death. And so, friends, I leave you with a question. Have you entered the narrow door? Can Jesus say to you, I know you? Will you enter the narrow door? Friends, hear Jesus' call. Strive for the narrow door. It is open before you this morning. Let us pray. Lord, the exclusivity of your kingdom goes against everything our culture believes, and so it bothers us. And yet let us see that it is exclusive because of the great cost of making the kingdom open to us, the cost of your own Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we see that own cost, that great cost, may we not simply be aware of it as a fact, but be delighted by the beauty of your love for us, that you would give even your own Son. Lord, our worship this morning began with Psalm 27 and the call to seek your face. Let us seek your face this morning. Jesus echoes those words calling us to strive to enter the narrow gate. 
But he also warns us that we're not willing in our own capacity. And so, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to change our desires even now so that we would be willing to be gathered by Jesus, so that we would desire to enter through the narrow gate. Even as we sing in a moment, may you be shaping our desires and our will that we might indeed come to recline one day at this kingdom feast that Jesus promises. Amen.